Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. So this morning, um, we actually lined this up quite a few months back. We, we asked if uh, Gabe from Open Doors would want to come and speak with us this morning. And so uh, we, we love Open Doors and we love what they're doing and their heart for the persecuted church and our brothers and sisters around the world. It's a, it's a fantastic organization. I know a bunch of us did the one with them um, thing back at Easter time. And, and so we heard a bit about it then. A few of us went to the Open Doors live thing, which was like a month or two back. Took a few young people there. It was great. And so this morning, we actually get to hear from, from Gabe here. Now, he's a busy man. So he, he travels all around Australia preaching at churches. So we're very spoiled to have him this morning. And uh, so, Gabe, if you want to come up, my friend. Welcome, Gabe. Awesome. And uh, I'm going to hand over to you, but do you mind if I just thank pray you. for you, mate? Yeah, of course. Thanks. Well, thank you, Jesus, so much for Gabe. And uh, thank you for what's on his heart this morning to share with us. And, and we thank you so much for, for this ministry, for Open Doors, and for what they're doing around the world. We just pray your blessing over them and your blessing over people like Gabe who work with Open Doors. And yeah, we just pray you speak to us this morning. You challenge our hearts, God. We want to hear what you have to say. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jaken. Thanks, everyone, for having me. This is, this is the first Sunday, I think, where I have a weird appreciation for a church I've never been to. Um, I, came, I drove here, live in uh, Coogee, and for the drive, I listened to Pastor Adrian's talk on prayer in June called Don't Just Pray But Be It, something like that. Incredible. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it again, or listen to it. If you, listen, if you heard it, go listen to it again. If we would all do what he said in that sermon, if we pray like that, the world would be a different place. And so it just started like that. I've met with Jake, and as he said, a couple of months back, and it's been amazing to see how, like, yeah, how keen they are to partner with Open Doors as a church, and obviously Jess um, working, getting to work with her at Open Doors. I feel like this is family already. And really looking at different churches around the world and in Australia, it is the one thing that I love about it. It's that's family immediately, right? Like I can walk into any church really and hopefully be embraced with open arms. And so just, this is random, but I just had a feeling to um, just emphasize that when I sat here. The meeting next week, make sure you make this place home. If you're, having, if you're still debating, this is an incredible community. And so make sure you're there, make sure you're part of it, make sure you play your part in building the kingdom here in this church, but also in this community to reach people for Jesus. To start, let's, um, I'll pray again, just to make sure what I say really lands. God, we're grateful for your love, your grace, your peace, and we're grateful that we get to meet publicly without worries on a Sunday, week in and week out, really. God, we're grateful that we get to be in relationship with you, and we just ask that what I share, I really ask that you would use it, that you'd open our hearts and that you'd speak to us individually, that you'd open our eyes where we can play our part to be a part in the global body of Christ. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. To start with, I'd love for you to meet Nadia. Nadia is an Egyptian woman and a couple of years ago, she was traveling with her family. They were traveling on Ascension Day to celebrate Ascension Day. Now, in the Middle East, that's kind of the day that is celebrated instead of Easter. 
because Easter attracts a lot of attacks from um, really around the world, but especially terrorists in that time. And so they celebrate Ascension Day to be, be a bit more under the radar. So they're traveling in a bus and they're crossing a state in the country. And at the border of that state, Nadia sees a couple of soldiers in the distance and she assumes they're there to ensure their safety as they travel along. The closer they get, they re she realizes that's not the case because the men on their guns shoot the tires of the bus and forcefully make their way onto the bus. On the bus now, they're asking every male passenger if they're Christians. If they said yes, they had the chance to renounce their faith. If they wouldn't do that, they were killed right there. And this is the way these men are making their way through the bus. And they're getting to Haney, Nadia's son, who's just sitting two rows in front of her. And with everyone else, they ask him as well, are you a Christian? And Nadia watches her son raise his wrist. A lot of Egyptian Christians have a tattoo, um, a cross tattoo on their wrist. He raises his wrist and says, yes, I'm a Christian. Witnessing her son's last words in that bus, she luckily got away from the attack with a few bruises. I think a bullet shot in her arm, but she survived. A few months later, she was in a trauma care center, the Open Doors uh, established in the region. And the team was talking to her and she said to them, you know, you might think I'm angry that I lost my son. And of course I'm sad that he's dead. And of course I miss him. But you know, I'm, I'm actually proud of the faith I raised in him. When I heard that statement for the first time, my faith was shaken to its core. Because you see, I asked myself immediately, what kind of faith was raised in me, but what kind of faith am I raising in people around me? When I talk about my faith, would the people that I share my faith with leave their life on the line? See, Jesus is absolutely everything for Nadia and therefore was everything for Haney. And it's that kind of relationship that from an early age for me was fascinating because the relationship Nadia has with Jesus shows that there's nothing that is worth more than her connection, her relationship with Jesus, her Savior. And see, it's that kind of, those kind of stories that really started to enable me to walk more boldly in my life, in my faith. I was 15 when I first heard of the persecuted church. We're in a youth, in a youth camp back in Switzerland, where I'm from. That's where the accent is from, in case you're like, why is this guy talking so weirdly? But my wife isn't here, so she can't point it out. It's good. Um, yes, I was in the youth camp, and when I heard the stories of, of really kids at the were the same age as me, there's something that shifted because I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up hearing about Jesus all my life, and growing up in Switzerland, it's very similar to Australia. You can just do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, and no one's going to bother you for it. And so at 15, I realized how a relationship, being in, in, in contact, in touch with the persecuted church, is really going to add value to my faith. Because you see, they are going through things I would never have to go through at that time. But hearing their stories made me see that it's not just overwhelming stories, it's not just 
devastating stories of people losing their lives, but it's stories of hope and faith in the midst of that. And I started to realize that at that time, it was a crucial time for me because I grew up in church and I just went because my parents went. But it's those stories that make me realize, hold on, there's something more to this. There has to be something more that people are giving up everything for that faith. And so it's really the last 11 years been amazing to watch that, that relationship grow and understand that the more I know what's happening around the world, the more I'm emboldened and, and encouraged in my own faith. What I want to look at today is a passage in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 to 11. And to give you a bit of context before we do that, Paul is writing... Paul's an apostle, and he's writing to different churches. That's the letters we have in the New Testament. Quite a few of them are from Paul. Now, Paul used to persecute the church. He was a Jew, and he he used to persecute the early movement of Christianity. He he then had an encounter with Jesus and became a, a Christian and started to preach the gospel everywhere. And this church in Corinth, he's writing to, it's the second letter we have, and some people in the church infiltrated it and kind of started rumors of Paul's apostleship not being a genuine one. They started saying that Paul was an apostle for himself. He was doing it not for the right reasons and not because he was appointed by God. And so with that setting, you'll see the first few verses, Paul is addressing exactly that. In the first verse, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. He's directing his apostleship directly to the will of God. And so it's this setup of, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this because God has called me to do this. He then continues in verse 3, and he says, Praise be to the God the Father, to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, I remember reading that passage really all my life and and being a bit confused by what Paul is saying here. He's using comforting quite a bit. And I'm like, oh, just uh, kept tripping me up when I read it. And it's fascinating to me because he establishes the relationship between us and God immediately. He says, you see, we're praising God our Father who really is the source of all our comfort and compassion. In our lives, it's so easy to run to the next person that is closest to us to get comfort. It might be our spouse, our parents, our children. And it's so easy to forget the source of all comfort, being God. And so Paul establishes something crucial at the beginning of this passage. You'll see how it unfolds because if our source of comfort and compassion is God, we're able to not just be comforted ourselves, but comfort the people around us. And so something important is established at the beginning here because Paul is talking to a church and he's addressing all saints in the region and really that's addressed to us today. And he's establishing a concept that it's not just about me and it's not just about us and these four walls or six walls, maybe more, but it's about the global body of Christ. It's about the global family of believers that we can comfort those in any trouble. 
In verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. It's that part where it becomes clear that suffering, Paul isn't just talking about sicknesses or broken bones, but it's really suffering that happen, happens to Christians because they're Christian. You see, he's saying it, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul is mentioning here that because of the preaching of the gospel, they're experiencing distress and suffering. It is for their salvation. It's the approval of God. <laughs> it, is, it is for their salvation that he is encountering the suffering. In verse 7, And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. It is, it is this constant reminder of regardless of what you experience, we can share in it. Regardless of what we experience, we know that we can share it with you. It's, this, it's the, the pointing to the hope. Our hope for you is firm. He is sure that this family, this family of believers, is there for one another. And this all really is a setup to what comes in, in verse 8. He says, we do, not, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul talking. If he despaired of life itself, he doesn't describe what he's going through, but it wouldn't be easy. And it's here that he's saying, don't be uninformed of what's happening around the world, and it really is for me a clear link for us in Australia. Don't be uninformed of what's happening around the world, because you see these stories of people struggling and suffering for spreading the gospel, they didn't stay in the Bible. It didn't stay in the times of the Bible, but really is, as we heard from Nadia's story, relevant today. And so Paul is saying that to the Corinthian church, but I'm really saying it to you. We do not want you to be uninformed about what's happening around the world to our persecuted brothers and sisters. See, indeed, he says, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but it's this immediate turn in the next sentence where he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who, who raises the dead. And it's the same thing we see all around the world in a persecuted church. It's facing incredible pressure, incredible hardship, but an immediate, immediate response of this is happening so that we trust and rely on God. And it's that kind of faith, that relationship with Jesus that inspired me from an early age on. Well, I'm like, where is this ability coming from to be able to immediately look to God who is their comforter in hardship that I can't even imagine? In verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. One of the most important parts of this passage, as you help us by your prayers. I'll read that sentence again. On him we have set our hope that he will, not, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And that's why I was fascinated by the fact that I listened to Adrian's talk on the way here because he was talking about praying and it not just being something that we kind of do to, to brush off our responsibility. 
in our relationship with God. He's saying pray and then act according to your prayers. And see how Paul here says, God will deliver us. And he doesn't say if you pray. And he doesn't say either regardless if you pray or not. But he says, God will deliver us as you pray. It is an expectation that the body of Christ is praying for one another, but it's also an expectation that God will deliver them regardless, really. But it's this amazing relationship where we get to partner with God in making all things, all things right on this earth. And see, it's that kind of focus constantly sh shifting from my situation, my worries, my suffering, to no, 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 God will deliver us because a global movement, a global body of Christ, a global family is standing with us. And this is what we hear all around the world. Christians thanking us for telling them that people in Australia and around the world are praying for them. It means so much to them to know that there's Christians in different countries knowing about their trials and actively praying for them. It gives them the strength to continue doing what they're doing so well, sharing the gospel regardless the cost. And see, this is really why Open Doors exists. For over 60 years, we've been helping people follow Jesus all around the world, no matter the cost. We've been coming alongside them so that they can continue to be an incredible example for the world what it means to follow Jesus to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, passionately, with everything they've got. Because the reality is, when I look at my life, it is a constant battle of trying to figure out, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus in our day and age? Does it mean I, I go to church and I pray and I do the Christian things? Or does it mean that I have a relationship with God that enables me to stand or withhold anything that I come against. I don't know if you know that, but there's currently 245 million Christians around the world that are experiencing persecution. That is almost 10 times the population of Australia. Every one in nine Christians are suffering for their faith. So see, what Paul is writing here in Corinthians is so, so relevant, and we have to make sure we're, we're aware of that. There's a quick video that will give you a bit of introduction of who we are as a ministry. Open Doors is a charity, but we work a little differently. We don't exist to end persecution or even to avoid the things that try to stop us from following Jesus. Instead, we work to overcome these things together. For more than 60 years, we've been helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost committed to advancing the gospel and helping the worldwide local church thrive. Whether that's by resourcing Christians in places like Iraq, Syria or North Korea, or educating Christians here in Australia. We know that there are always things that will try to stop us from following Jesus, but we can overcome them together. Join a movement of Christians all over the world that are courageously following Jesus. There is one body and one church of which we are all a part of. Open Doors, helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Just quickly, that video where Joss, who's speaking over it, says, 
I'm not sure actually what the line is, but where she says we're, we're all experiencing issues or it's not easy to follow Jesus and the image is immediately going to ISIS fighters. I'm like, yeah, but the, the struggles I have as a Christian here are nowhere compared to the struggles a Christian has in the Middle East. And so again, it's not this feeling that I want you to feel like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible about myself. It's my fault that I'm here. No, it's not. But it's this inspiration of, all right, what am I doing with the freedom I have? Because the adversity I face doesn't look like that. It maybe looks like the fact that I'd rather binge another series on Netflix than talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Or that I'd rather not go to church because I'm not feeling so well today because I can't be bothered. But it's this constant reminder of, all right, I can do something. And that's again like, listen to the talk of Adrian because he keeps saying how we need to act on our prayers. A lot of times we're asking God to move things in our lives, in our neighborhood, in our world, but we're not willing to do the first step. And see, Adrian wasn't saying you have to do all the work and you have to fix the world, but we can all do something. We can all start with something that God can take and do incredible work with. I love that God wants to use us as a solution for this world, for the problems of this world. Jesus is the medicine of the world and he must be shared, but it's us, it's the carriers of the good news that get to go out and share Jesus. And see, partnering with Open Doors, partnering with the persecuted church is really enabling people to share Jesus all around the world. For them to continue to do that because they're already doing it so incredibly well. This is the World Watch List. Who has seen that map before? A few of us. For those who haven't, this is a watch list that Open Doors has been releasing for over 25 years now, where we every year assess the world, really, all the countries in the world, and see where persecution is the hardest, where it is hardest for Christians to follow Jesus. You can see the colors on the map. They're not great. You can come to the stand afterwards and have a look at it better. But red, the countries that are in red represent extreme persecution. The countries in yellow are high persecution. So if the country has a color on the map, Life isn't easy as a Christian. Now, when we talk about persecution, it's important to know that it's a spectrum. Obviously, persecution looks different in different countries around the world. And so the spectrum really goes from mild mockery, which is what we might experience in countries like Switzerland or Australia, where people make fun of our faith. But then on the other side of the spectrum, we have martyrdom, stories like Haney's. And anything in between is persecution and looks different. And so I want to look at two countries just to give you an idea of what persecution looks like in them. North Korea is on top of the list and has been so for 18 consecutive years. It is the hardest country to be a Christian in. Believers that are being seen with Bibles are being put in prison for three years or labor camps. A believer in North Korea told us that when he made a decision to be a Christian, he made a decision to die for Christ. Every believer makes that decision, he said. See, I made a decision to live for Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's amazing. And I believe many of us would have made that same decision. But it shows you the different perspectives of the body of Christ around the world. Where in one country, we're asking someone, Give your life to Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. And in another country, the ask is a bit different. And it says, are you willing to give your life for Jesus in a way of losing it? 
it's incredible for me to, to know that there's people that today make decisions knowing, decisions for Jesus, knowing that they might not see another day. See, again, this is not for me to say, feel bad about yourself, but it should be an encouragement for us to go, what is it in me when I look at my relationship with Jesus that I want to give for Jesus? What comes out when people ask me about my faith? How passionate am I when I talk about Jesus? I'm not a rugby fan, but it's the Rugby World Cup, and the conversation almost anywhere at the moment constantly comes back to the Rugby World Cup who's winning, who's losing, and people that love it can't stop talking about it. For me, it's skiing or random things where I'm just like, I love it, and so I'll just bore you to death. But you see, it's that immediate question then that comes to me and goes, what is it when I talk about Jesus? Can I not stop myself from the hope and love and peace I've received from my relationship with Jesus? And it's the relationship we have with the persecuted church around the world with believers like believers in North Korea, that enable me to go, all right, I'm not there yet, but I can do one more step. Next time someone asks me about Jesus, I'll try to be more passionate. And it's kind of weird to say that, isn't it? Like, I'll try to be more passionate about my faith, which I believe saves me. Well, right. Another country in, in, is India. India is number 10 on the world watch list. And it is one of the countries where persecution is rising the quickest. People are not really safe on the streets. There's stories of people walking on the street being abused and police officers walking past them because they know they're Christians. And so they don't, they don't really care. For me in school, my non-Christian teacher has stopped mockery about my faith. And I'm like, there's a country where people can't walk or feel safe walking on the street. One of my favorite stories is the story of Baya in India. It's a 22-year-old woman. When, when, and when her and her mom became Christians, their village violently threw them out. And I have told that story a lot, and every time I tell it now, I'm like, I'm making sure we understand what that means, being thrown out of your village. It's not just you can't go back to your home, it's you can't go back to where you lived all your life. And so thinking for me, Basel, a country, a country town in Switzerland, not really, it's a city, but it's like the neighborhood. If I'd be kicked out of that neighborhood, what would that mean? And to be honest, I'd probably run for my life. I wouldn't want to be near the people that just kicked me out of my hood. Like, what? But Baya's response is different. She says, I'm going to study the Bible so I can tell these people more about Jesus, and I can tell them in a better way. It reminds me of stories like Paul almost getting stoned outside of a city getting up and walking back in and continuing to share the story of the gospel of Jesus. 22-year-old woman has a faith like that. See, it's incredible for me to know that I can be in relationship, in partnership, in really in connection with people like Baya, Nadia, and all the people around the world. Open Doors enables me to read stories if I'd want to, day in and day out. There is endless stories of people just like Nadia and Baya living a faith courageously and boldly for Jesus. And while I'm trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus here, it is incredible to be connected to a ministry that constantly reminds me of stories and testimonies around the world from today. Currently, northern Syria is experiencing incredible pressure. Christians, thousands of Christians are worried about their life. 
And those stories remind me of 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. And as Open Doors, we're able to give you the information you need to know what to pray for and how to play your part in the global body of Christ. There's another video I want to show you of a story of a pastor in, in Lebanon. His name is Pastor Jamal, and he opened his church doors to millions of refugees that passed through. And so obviously, they were quite soon at their edges of their capacity. But with the partnership of Open Doors, they've been able to continue to do, deliver food packages for refugees that came through. It's incredible. One of the ministries the church has now is Muslim women are coming and, and getting food, and they're invited to pray together. They have a prayer group of, I think it's about 25 Muslim women. And they were told that Jesus answers prayers. And so they said, go home, pray to Jesus for something that you need in your life right now, and come back and tell us what happened. For months, these women come back every week and share stories of how Jesus answered their prayers. They're not Christians yet. But it's the church saying, we need to make sure these people hear about Jesus. And if they can't convert immediately, we'll show them that our God is real. And it's incredible for me that we partner with churches like Pastor Jamal's. We have more than 1.5 million refugees coming into our country. Everyone sees in that a very big problem, but we see in that a very big opportunity. So we are trying to help these people with both hands, physically and spiritually. Many of them are coming to Christ and they are telling us we had wrong idea about Christianity. We believe that the smallest light can penetrate the greatest darkness. We believe we are in the right place at the right time. So although we were a small church, everyone is at work in this ministry, which changed everything in our church. This is how we started. With time, many of the refugees have come to Christ. So now they are doing the work. More than 70% of our team are from the refugees themselves who have come to Christ. I believe it is the day of salvation. God is doing something special with these people and we are witnessing miracles every week. Every week we have people coming to us. I love stories like these because it enables me to see how we can expand the body of Christ all around the world without having to go there. I haven't really described what we do as a ministry because it's, it's not that easy. And it's probably easiest described as saying, we come alongside the local church all around the world and say, how can we help? It started with churches getting Bibles through Brother Andrew who started the ministry. Churches, pastors that let churches without Bibles because of Brother Andrew had Bibles for the first time. And then it continued in, in training people in, in persecution, Bible training, emergency relief, like Sri Lanka, the bombings. We were there immediately because we've been partnering with the churches there for decades. And so really what the work of Open Doors looks like is coming alongside the church around the world and saying, how can we enable you to continue what you're already doing so well? 
sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Another cool project we have is, is different micro-business loans that we've been giving to people in countries where it's really hard for them to get work because they're Christians. So we've set up bakeries, computer-fixing shops, beehive farms that enable those people to live a life really sustainably and to give to the community around them. The story of the beehive farm that we've been able to set up is that a guy out of prison became a Christian because of a prison ministry of Open Doors. And then he meets with the pastor and they give him a, um, a business training certificate for and he's able to set up that beehive farm to make honey. But then with the income that is generated, he's employed five people in the community. He's built, ref um, not refugee centers, he's built rehabilitation centers for men and women. And it's incredible because one little thing that we've been able to do in micro-business loan is enabling them to continue to change their community for Jesus, one step at a time. And see, it's crucial for us to understand the value it is that we're one body, that it's one church, that we're all serving one God. And if we see that we can unify like that, the power we have is incredible. Because as Paul writes, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And I don't have to make the link too many more times to your pastor's Adrian's talk, but praying sometimes needs action that follows it. And while it might be a reminder to pray, and not just a once-off prayer for the persecuted church, another thing could be that you're considering to partner with us. And really, as an organization, we kind of work in a circle. We want to make sure that it's not just for you to feel like you're giving to a ministry, kind of solving an issue far away that you can't be there, but it kind of makes you feel better that you've given. But really, it should be a cycle where you give, invest into the persecuted part of the body of Christ, but at the same time, it's really like educating you and feeding into you, into your walk with Jesus. So it's this one body model where we're saying prayers and financial support goes into the body of Christ around the world and lessons and encouragement from them comes to, this, to the church in Australia. As a minister, we're saying, can you match a subscription in your life to the survival of the persecuted church? Now, we're not here to say stop your giving to all other charities, especially not to church. But what we're saying is that as Christians, we believe that it should be part of our DNA to care for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And so a simple step like saying, I'll give a coffee a week, 20 bucks a month, matching my, I don't know what it is, Netflix, Stan, Spotify, and kind of saying, while I feed into my comfort, I want to make sure I encourage and support the persecuted part of the body of Christ around the world. It's a little box you can find me outside that you, can, that you get when you sign up, and it's really a reminder of your partnership with the persecuted church. You'll get monthly updates of the stories around the world of what you can pray for and what your money really is doing around the world. All these projects that I've shown you or talked to you about are really possible because of our monthly donors in Australia. That's a little chart. You can choose your donation. Again, there's no minimum or maximum. There's different regions you can allocate your donation towards Africa, Asia, or Middle East, or where most needed. Now, before we close and, and have communion, I just want, I'll pray, but I also want you just to think about when we take communion, and I'm sure Jacob will talk more about it, but 
kind of considering when we do this, we're doing something that the global body of Christ around the world is doing. And it's one little thing that we can identify with the global body of Christ. Well, we can know that regardless where these people are meeting, if it's a church that has half a roof and half no roof, they're all taking, in, taking part in the same remembrance activity of sharing in the blood and body of Jesus Christ. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful again for the relationship we get to have with you. Father, we're grateful for your salvation, for the relationship we get to have with you and for the freedom we have in this country. We ask, Lord, that you would show us ways of sharing our passion, our love for you with the people around us. That the city of Sydney, the country of Australia, would see that a relationship with you changes everything. God, I pray that we would hear the stories of the persecuted church and be encouraged in our own faith, encouraged to dig deeper in our relationship with you, to make sure we truly know you and we truly know that we're known by you, that we're loved and that we're cared for and that we're part of a global family, all being your children. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to move into a time of communion now. Thanks so much, Gabe. It's great. Um, so, yeah, I just encourage you, as, as Gabe was saying, that we'd be doing that together as a body and to remember that we do this all around the world, all together. It's just crazy to think about that. And so to, to take communion, to remember who Jesus is, to remember that His body was broken for us, that we may be saved and that we may find life and that His blood was shed, that we can be forgiven of our sins and find healing. And So I encourage you to, to do that in your own time. And we, we open this invitation to everyone. Everyone is welcome to come participate in, in communion and remembering Jesus and to maybe lift up the body around the world in your prayers as well as we do that. So let's do that together, take it in your own time, and then we're going to worship together.